I've got to admit, I am surprised that even those who are gravely concerned about what we're doing to our planet and the problems that we're facing ultimately are still quite optimistic that we can still solve them, that all hope is not lost and we can go. A wise man once said, A wise man once said, The best way to predict the future is to create it. You're about to experience a next level show. Scientists, entrepreneurs, thought leaders. You're listening to the Future of Humanity podcast. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of Future of Humanity podcast. This is the season one wrap-up. It has been an incredible first season to the show. Uh, We've covered a broad range of very important topics with some incredible guests. And season two is going to be just as great and even more incredible guests. You know, over the last few months, I've personally learned a lot from each of the discussions And so in today's wrap-up episode, I'm going to give you a quick summary of kind of what we talked about and ultimately I took away from each discussion and how it's changed my perspectives on some things and, and how I now view the future based on what I know now after all these discussions. So let's get into it. So let's start with episode one. Episode one, I spoke with Dave Martin all about what Power Ledger is doing to change how we buy and sell energy and the utilities uh, with the use of blockchain technology. And I have to say, I absolutely love this technology and what Power Ledger in particular are doing. I'm personally a really big believer in solar power. And I think that anything that can take us to a system of generating what we need more locally and then distributing that in a way that doesn't hurt those that can't afford technologies like solar is really powerful. Like what Dave mentioned about how we don't want to go completely off grid, that fundamentally changed a lot of my thinking. I, I'd previously been thinking we had to go off grid. That was the goal. Every, everyone would just be self-sustaining. And, and the way he talked about how we still need the grid and how we need to ensure that everyone has access to affordable electricity people who are in in the unit blocks and and uh, also people who can't afford things like solar. Uh, obviously, hopefully, the technology becomes cheaper and everyone can afford it, but it was just really refreshing and changed a, a, a few of my thoughts around that. Markets will evolve. You know, there's, there's a really strong narrative in the, in the PV and, and battery market now about, you know, getting off the grid. There are websites out there that promote it, how you can do it, and it is a reality now. The costs are, you know, almost at parity for getting off the grid and staying on the grid. But the disaster is we have to install vastly more um, resources on roofs to meet individual peak demand than if we stay connected to a grid and share our peak demand. You're right, the the guys who can't afford it are the last ones to leave and the last ones paying the check. There is a a lot to be said around the the efficiencies that are gained by staying connected to uh, an effectively priced uh, and built and managed electricity network. I got to say that knowing that Dave and his team at PowerLedger are out there uh, with a real practical product and a use case for blockchain as well, which is also inspiring and uh, exciting technology, I feel inspired and comforted because I feel confident that if it's not their particular platform, that a platform like it will make its way into our everyday use in the future in some point. So that's really exciting. That's what I loved about episode one. 
Then we had episode two. Episode two was where I spoke with Professor Paul Ehrlich and Dr. Sandra Khan, all about the hidden epidemic of the human jaw. And this was probably the episode that had the most direct impact on my life. Uh, Before we recorded the episode, I was actually booked in to have my wisdom teeth, all four of my wisdom teeth removed uh, a few weeks after we recorded the episode. And after reading their book and then the discussion that we had on the episode, I decided to get a second opinion about my teeth. And ultimately, they did conclude that I still should have them removed, but it was not as urgent as the dentist I'd seen had said. I'm also far more aware every day of the position of my jaw. I don't know whether it's in my head or whether it's true. I'd have to probably compare some photos. I feel like my face shape has changed slightly due to me resting my jaws in the way that was recommended by both Paul and Sandra, with where your teeth lightly touch. I'm far more conscious when I'm just out and about or I'm in resting, I notice where my teeth are and whether they're lightly touching or whether my mouth is open. But when you look at hunter-gatherers remains, you see that there's quite a bit of wear. And so the dentistry that we've, we've mechanically been providing to our patients might not be conducive to health. And Part of the reason somebody came up with the idea of having the teeth apart is so that there's no wear. Now we know that Dr. Mew's theory that it's very important to have that contact. And when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense, but it's not something that's shared by almost anyone that, I, that I've talked to. Even people that understand you should have your tongue in the roof of your mouth and you should breathe through your nose. They always talk about the teeth being a little bit separate so that you can keep them from, from damaging themselves if you're tightening your teeth. So that was something that was hard for me to understand. So that, that's had a very profound impact on my day-to-day life. Episode three uh, was where I spoke with Dave Many about how his company is using 3D printing, drones, and 3D modeling in the mining sector. What was really great to me about this particular episode was that we weren't talking about theoretical use cases, but we were talking about practical use of 3D printing of steel structures. Like I took away from that realizing just how close we are to utilizing 3D printing far more across the masses. Like it's it's clearly being used, but I think the majority of us aren't aware that there are companies out there like his that are using 3D printing in the construction field. So there's definitely a case in the future where you need a new part. You, you just put your requisition order in and the printer starts up, goes all night and, and you go and grab your component uh, when it's ready. And, yeah, print and it all night. On demand. Yeah, absolutely. So, so storage becomes tiny. You've got a room with a printer in it and a whole pile of material for printing, and you wait for the time um, required to do that. So, yeah, I think that the future, even just looking at non-metallic parts, you know, the, the plastic printing industry and, and so on, that's, that's really becoming quite a thing. I love the saying about 3D printing. It's dream it, print it. You know? So that's possible with printing. If you can model it, you can visualize it and you can model it, um, you can create it. And you can't do that with normal manufacturing that we've, you know, we're stuck with our, our steel beam lines and our bolts and our welds and everything being orthogonal. Um, so it's easy to analyze and design for us. And that's really restrictive. It doesn't give us scope to have um, amazing different things. 
that was really exciting. And I feel like, you know, the next 10 years of what we're going to see in 3D printing is, is going to be really groundbreaking. Then we had episode four, and episode four was a really interesting one for me. I I spoke with Dr. Mel Hart all about overpopulation, contraception. I personally am very worried about overpopulation. I have been for a number of years. While there's a lot of data showing that population growth is slowing, Mel painted a pretty grim picture, especially with her opinion of what a sustainable population number is compared to where we are globally right now and where we're headed. Well, you know, ecologists guessed that around the 1950s or so, we probably hit our maximum sustainable level of humanity. And that was about somewhere between one and two billion people. So they're willing to say, well, maybe two billion people. Right now we're headed towards, oh, what is it? Seven? Are we at seven? Seven, 7.6, according to my research. Yes. And they keep on talking This is another thing that bothers me. These media people, main channel media will say, whenever they're talking about population growth, will say, yes, and when we hit 11 billion in 2050, I think to myself, they're not even saying if. And yet, where we're headed, we might be destroying so much of the planet and its capability of sustaining us that by 2050, we might be in a crash, a major crash. And it might be from any number of factors combined that's causing this crash. No one should assume that saying we're going to automatically hit uh, 11 billion, 15 billion or whatever. We are probably going to crash as surely as bacteria populations crash in Petri dishes and for basically the same reason. Now, I'm not sure. I'm Obviously, I'm not an expert and she's more of an expert than I am. I'm not 100% convinced that her view on what the sustainable population number is, is correct. I have researched and had other numbers, which I agree with a bit more. Overall, population is a tricky subject because it's a very emotional one for many. And for many of us also, there is this primal urge to procreate and have offspring. And so I think, you know, talking about the idea of, oh, well, how do we curb population is by having less kids, it's a challenging conversation as a society to have. Yes, there are definitely people who are choosing not to have children, which is helping. Um, but there is this genetic or primal urge that I think is is a challenging situation. But I learned about LARCs, long-acting contraceptions, which I did not know existed before our conversation. I also really liked her approach of how she's trying to tackle overpopulation in her in her home country of the United States by focusing on reducing unintended pregnancies. So rather than going out there and saying, you know, families, you need to have less kids and and coming at it from that approach, it's a, well, hold on, let's look at this. There are a bunch of people who are having children who didn't, it's not that they were unplanned, although that's part of it, it's unintended. They were never planning on having these kids and then it happens. And so by reducing that number, we're not necessarily limiting the people who want to have children. We're not saying, hey, we're not going down the China path of a one-child policy or anything like that. We're just reducing these unintended pregnancies. And in particular, she's focusing on the United States. But I think, you know, there's a lot of great work being done out there by others uh, in some of the more developing nations as well and helping them learn about contraceptions and and, um, reducing some of those unintended pregnancies as well. So that was a very interesting episode. 
Then we had episode five, and episode five was with my good friend Peter Moriarty. He uh, runs an IT company. We've been mates for a number of years, and this was definitely one of probably the most fun episodes that I did of season one because it was where I had my first discussion. Rather than an interview, we just had a back-and-forward discussion. I would say I came away personally too changed by this discussion because, well, we've had discussions like this numerous times. Although I have to say Peter did make some compelling arguments towards uh, at what point will email be a dead technology? A little bit curious about the future in terms of the area that I'm in uh, because we provide business productivity tools. What that looks like in a practical sense is email, file storage, you know, hangouts, video calling, communications in the Google ecosystem, and we help implement that for small businesses. Uh, but what's interesting to me is how communication is changing and how in five or 10 years' time, I always have to ask myself the question, are we still going to be emailing? And I think that's how our discussion got started. And I think that's a great one to talk about because email itself, uh, sure, it's absolutely critical right now. But if we look 10 years into the future, you know, 10 years, not just five years, but 10 years into the future. And, you know, we start to see email like potentially like faxes or like sending letters. And that is a, it's a very curious topic for me. The trend of moving to instant messaging tools and bots is an interesting one. And it very may well be the beginning of the end for email. I suppose only time will tell. Uh, but it is definitely a, an interesting time period for us technologically. Uh, so if you're into techie things and you haven't heard episode five, be sure to go back and listen. We speculate about the future of ownership of planets and much more. It's just, it's a really fun episode. Uh, after that, we had episode six with Noah Nellick. Now, I have to say I'm thoroughly impressed with the software that his company has developed. They have built a practical and useful augmented reality tool for pool builders to use as a sales and quoting tool. You know, it's, it's like The Sims on an iPad overlaid in real life. It's just incredible and amazing. And I came away from that episode inspired about where the future of augmented reality might take us in business. Previous to that, I hadn't really seen how augmented reality would be used so much in a business sense. I could see it in a personal world, in entertainment and maybe eventually something like Google Glass will happen uh, that people will accept. But I didn't really see the practical use cases today in business. And I was really impressed with what Noah Nellick and his team have created. That's what's special about the Yard app, because it can bring elements of the 3D world, in our case, a swimming pool, spa, deck, and drop that to scale in someone's real world. And so they look through the iPad, and we call it the window of the future is they're looking through at that pool in their backyard and they can walk around it from any angle as if it's there. Episode seven was another blockchain episode and this time it was with Jamie Skeller, who at the time was the managing director of Horizon State. Uh, he has since stepped down to focus on other interests, but Horizon State continues to pursue their incredible vision. And uh, he is a super smart guy and I wish him well with everything he is doing. I've got to say, before this episode, I could already see the power of blockchain in a voting sense. I could understand the idea of being able to vote on the blockchain would be eliminate a lot of the challenges that we've had with electronic voting to date. But what Horizon State is doing around the world now, if society as a whole accepts the technology, it could fundamentally change how the democratic process works. 
it's going to be a, a slow process overall. We're under no illusions that we can sort of change the world overnight or that this is going to be a, a flick of the switch. Um, in Australia, we have relatively um, you know, high levels of penetration for, for mobile devices uh, and smartphones. We're, we're talking in the vicinity of sort of 80, 85% mobile, uh, sorry, 80, 85% smartphone and, and about 95% uh, mobile. So there is the opportunity to put this technology into many people's hands, but it's also important to recognize that it doesn't need to be all or nothing. You know, for every postal vote we don't need to send, for every ballot box we don't need to stand up, we're saving time, we're saving money, and we're improving the, legitim- the, the legitimacy of, of that result uh, with particular focus on the security of that result. Um, so it's it's going to be something that indeed will take five and ten and maybe even more time than that uh, to actually fully realise. Uh, but I do think that within that sort of time frame, the reality is going to be that any um, politician, any party, any government that is rejecting um, the consideration of the use of this technology will effectively be waving a flag signalling um, their own corruption because there is no reason, just simply no reason that you wouldn't want to uh, improve the security of the result and improve the quality of your democratic process. I feel like this is one of those let's wait another 10, 15 years and see where where we're at. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but the progress that Horizon State are making is just incredible. And I think uh, there are other companies doing similar things in the blockchain space with with democracy and voting. Um, but I really am excited about Horizon State uh, and what they're doing. Uh, episode eight was then with Hien Nguyen. And we talked about space, spirituality, and flying cars. Hien is very, very passionate about space. And I've got to say that enthusiasm rubbed off on me. I said, I played this scenario and these are the the message I got and I took action on it and I attracted and I created this personal reality of this opportunity. How did you do that? The the visualization process you were talking about at the beginning of, of visualizing? I have a passion for space. I can talk 24 hours about space. Jeff Bezos shows up in my dreams, colorful dream, you know, almost flirty, like actually the dream, but rainbow and everything. So I'm happy that the color was not doomsday. The the color was exactly how I would like to see the future and how I would like to contribute to the future. Boom, one week later, an email shows up. You get the opportunity to meet him. So I I like to be, be pure, be open, be curious at heart and stay open willing to put your mind on delete mode because we don't need to know. All we need is a strong vision, great access to people that share the same values, beliefs uh, about abundant futures and the opportunities that will unfold if you trust the path. Since that episode, I've looked a lot more into what's been happening with space. In fact, the other week I was in Seattle at the Boeing Flight Museum and I spent most of my time in the section all about space because, yes, as a a kid, I was always inspired by it. But Hien's enthusiasm and and what she's out there doing uh, really inspired me to look far more at what's happening and where I can get involved. Uh, I think the future of space is going to be very much in the commercialization of space. Uh, it's going to bring the cost down, which will ultimately allow scientists to focus on experiments and deep space exploration technologies. And it will leave the kind of going up to the space station and some of the more local things to the commercialized sector. Uh, I think that's got pros and cons, but I think ultimately that's where we're going. And, and I think overall, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, episode nine, I was joined by another personal friend of mine, Fiona Anson, who is the CEO 
of JobGetter, which is a job uh, recruitment platform. I really enjoyed this discussion because firstly, it was data-driven and not just pure speculation. They collect a mass amount of data in the Australian uh, workplace space in particular. And secondly, because we took a step back from just being business owners and we looked at the job market and the changes that are happening from an everyday employee mentality, which in my circles isn't really a common thing. I'm surrounded mostly by fellow entrepreneurs and business owners. And so while I have a team, it it can be very easy to not know what's happening in the job market with the underemployment and the changing shape of what is available in that market because I'm not actively out there looking for jobs or having people decide whether I have a job or not. If you've got people working for you, then offer to Coursera courses or send them on courses that they can do to continually upskill because you're the beneficiary of that upskilling. The other thing is to inspire those people to always look for new and interesting things to do. I took away from this episode most that what I'm doing right now in my business is is the right things. The way I'm treating my team seems like a, the, the right things to do, which is great. Uh, but also that the soft skills development is what I should be recommending my friends and family focus on if they want to stay relevant in the fast-changing world. So if you are out there looking for jobs, my biggest takeaway from this episode, firstly, go back, listen to the episode, but it was make sure you're developing those soft skills. I think they're super crucial and important. Then we had episode 10. And I've got to say, it is definitely a favorite of mine. I was joined by author and social researcher Claire Madden, and we spoke all about Generation Z or Generation Z, however you want to pronounce it. What I learned from Claire's book and during our episode has come up in numerous conversations since, uh, both with Generation X and Y, as well as Gen Zs themselves. And I've got to say, I, I really feel like I better understand Gen Z's behavior especially when it comes to social media and the use of their phones, so much better. And they have had their formative years influenced by such extraordinary exposure to technology at such a young age, and that's been a a marker of them. When I asked them to define what shaped their generation, the two responses I heard time and time again were technology and social media. And the extent to which social media is part of the way that they live is really quite extraordinary. I'm also far more conscious of my messaging on SMS and instant messenger if I'm speaking to a Gen Z, making sure that I'm not using full stops when I shouldn't. Uh, Am I showing the way that they communicate? Am I showing the emotion in the way they expect? Uh, So that's been really interesting. And it's created a lot of laughs and and good fun at dinner conversations and just out with with friends where I get to share these really interesting facts that a lot of people don't know. So if you're looking for interesting things to talk about, pick up uh, Claire's book, but also listen to the episode. It'll give you some great things to wow people about when you can say, did you know Gen Z are like this? Then we've got episode 11. And in episode 11, I was joined by James Kemp and we discussed the blurring lines between entrepreneurs and employees. Since both James and I are what many would call lifestyle entrepreneurs, where we can live and work from anywhere, and we build our businesses to serve our life, not live our life to serve our work, it was really great to share this message to those who it may be a new concept to. Well, I think the the, the people with jobs are now 
they've got the opportunity to, I'll bring it back to the influencer frame that you've just, just set out there. But it used to be your side hustle, you know, if you had a job, you'd um, you get a side hustle and you make a few dollars on the side, you know, maybe selling something at a market or, you know, some kids had a paper round or for extra income, you know, people who wanted to bolster their income can work in a bar at night or, or whatever it was in the, in, in the old economy. And that still happens. But now as an influencer, the side hustle can now be a million dollar side hustle. Is that still a hustle or is it now a job? <laughs> so mm. I think, again, the, the definitions of these things have got, have got super blurred because of money and because of the scope that an influencer can, can have. And fundamentally, they're getting paid to be themselves. The business model is, is turning up and you know, making yourself look good and, um, and being yourself. I think the, the definition hasn't changed. It's just the exponential wealth generation of, of the channels that the connectivity, the social, social media and the web have created have meant that the old, the old version of the paper round or the, or the part-time job to earn some extra money can now become the full-time gig very quickly and then become, become the main thing. I think it's largely a, pro- a product of exponentialism. But I also found it really interesting that James believes eventually almost everyone will be in some way their own boss. And he sees a more contractor-based world, more people living the way we do, which, as we discussed back in episode nine, uh, there's definitely a trend towards that already of a more contractor or gig-based economy, uh, which is really interesting. So if you're interested about where the future of work might go, or you've thought about starting a business, or you are an entrepreneur wanting to have more of a lifestyle, episode 11, 11 was a really great discussion. And then episode 12 was with Dr. Layla Allum, who has had an incredible career so far. And I've got to say, the tech geek in me uh, is very happy to know that she is out there continuing to work on augmented reality, particularly in the field of health. Yes, a technology like this would can definitely be used in a remote delivering uh, delivery of uh, health services with the view that it's not an interaction between the specialist and the patient, but it's actually an interaction between a specialist and maybe a nurse that is examining the patient. And therefore, the patient gets the benefit of having a specialist because a specialist is augmenting the nurse. The nurse gets to learn on the job because she actually gets to do all the examination of the, pa- the patient and gets the advice and recommendations of a specialist in situ while they're doing the examination. And the specialist gets to do it from their office instead of having to fly them. So it's beneficial for, for the, three, uh, the three parties involved. Uh, just like episode six had me excited for the future of augmented reality in business, this episode and what's already happening in the world of augmented reality has me excited about how AR could help us better manage our health and in particular our mental health. It's a very interesting space and I just can't wait to see how it's going to develop. Uh, Episode 13, this was actually going to be in season two, but I learned so much from my discussion with Dr. Michael Chapman that I felt we should get it out as a bonus in season one. You know, as a single man, IVF isn't something that I've ever really looked into or known much about. You know, sure, I know a few people who have gone through the process, but I've not really asked any questions, to be honest. So in researching the episode and then during the discussion, I learned so much more about how 
IVF technology has changed and, and the costs and everything. But I also learned a lot more about human fertility in general and actually just how not great at um, being fertile we are as a species. What we are as humans, however, uh, and our reproductive life, well, female reproductive life stretches from 13 to 45, a long, long, long period of reproduction and a coming into season in a sense um, once every month, so that's uh, 12 times a year. If we got pregnant every time, we wouldn't be here today. The world would have been overrun. Uh, at, at a time when technology wasn't able to produce food production line sort of stuff that we've caught up with the capacity to, to deal with the current levels of population. Whatever, whatever it is that causes evolution, one of the things that we evolved uh, in such a way that we were inefficient reproducers, that the odds of a pregnancy in any one month of an egg being released for a, a human at most around 15%. Uh, I also found it really refreshing to hear someone who earns their living doing IVF saying that he believed many people turn to IVF too soon. I think that's very interesting. Uh, and I also found it very interesting to hear his views on des designer babies and the future ability to essentially pick the attributes of your child. Uh, I don't personally see eye to eye with where he was at, but it was really nice to kind of hear his views and get a different perspective. I feel like this was an episode that if you haven't heard, it is worth going back to and listening to no matter what age you are or what stage you are at life. Uh, learning more about IVF and human fertility, I think, is, is just a useful thing to be aware of. So, that's my wrap-up of Season 1. We had 13 episodes. Uh, overall, I would say the biggest thing that stood out to me during Season 1 was the answers to my question. Are you optimistic or pessimistic when you think about the future of humanity? And I've got to admit, I am surprised that even those who are gravely concerned about what we're doing to our planet and the problems that we're facing ultimately are still quite optimistic that we can still solve them, that all hope is not lost and we can go. Now, you might say, well, that's just maybe the choice of guests, which could be. Maybe if you were overly pessimistic, you wouldn't even come on this show. Uh, the others would say, well, maybe it's just innately human that even when things are down, we will continue to fight and be optimistic that we can do something about it. Before I started this show, I was very much a 50-50. I was optimistic about some things, but gravely concerned about others and thought that maybe, uh, you know, all chances of turning things around in some areas were lost. I wouldn't say I'm 50-50 anymore. Uh, I don't know if I could give you an exact number. I'm still very concerned. But knowing that we have amazing men and women like season one's guests out there, optimistically spreading their messages working on their technologies and making their impacts, both big and small, on the world, I really feel positive that our future can be better than what uh, it is now and, and better than where I used to think we were headed. So, while you wait for season two, and you know, to be honest, it may be a little while, uh, there'll probably be a bit of a hiatus before season two starts, feel free to go back and listen to previous episodes. Go back, listen to them again. Reach out to the guests if you're interested or you want to help support them in some way. I'm sure they would love to know that you heard them on the podcast. 
And also be sure to follow us, Future of Humanity, on social media. We've got Instagram, we've got Facebook. Uh, check us out, uh, Twitter as well. And remember, the decisions that you make today are going to impact the future of humanity, even if it doesn't feel like it does. So be wise about the decisions you make each and every day. Be wise about the conversations you have. And ultimately, let's try and spread the message of positivity and optimism about where we can go. And uh, let's try and make some change. Let's build a future that our grandchildren and great-grandchildren and beyond are going to be happy about. That's uh, it for me for now. I'll see you in season two. Thanks for listening to the Future of Humanity podcast. To download the latest episode and find the transcript and various resources mentioned in today's episode, visit our website at foh.show. That's F-O-H as in Future of Humanity and show as in S-H-O-W. Uh, You can also, via our website, contact me with any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. So please do reach out. Now, if you haven't already subscribed, you can find the links to subscribe on all your favorite platforms at foh.show slash subscribe. That's foh.show slash subscribe. And more importantly, if you'd like to continue the conversation from today's episode and connect with other listeners, then you can join our free community at foh.show slash community, foh.show slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.